0: Chapter Thirty Four, Part One, of the Life of Philip Melanchthon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Philip Melanchthon, by Carl Friedrich Letterhose, translated by Gottlob Frederick Crüdelle, 1826 to 1907. The Last Years of His Life, Real Years of Sorrow, Part 1. The hostility existing between the stricter and more moderate Lutherans for the few last years increased more and more, notwithstanding all the efforts to the contrary made by the well-known Duke Christopher, the Elector of the Palatinate, and the Landgrave of Hesse. When the Elector Augustus, the Elector Joachim II, and duke henry of brunswick met in leipzig february fifteen fifty eight to consult as to the plan of transferring the imperial crown to king ferdinand at the next convention at frankfort they also spoke of the divisions in the evangelical church melanchthon received an invitation during the month of february to come to dresden in order to present his views in regard to this subject he began to write a declaration but sorrow interrupted this work he says he thus writes to prince joachim of anhalt in reference to the occasion of this work the elector of the palatinate and the duke of Württemberg have frequently requested our churches to hold a synod when asked concerning this i replied that it would not be possible to call a synod until the princes had agreed not only upon resolutions but also upon their confession and had discussed this matter with believing and learned men. I therefore received orders to prepare an opinion concerning certain controverted points, and to forward it as soon as possible to the banks of the main. I shall send or bring this document as soon as possible, for I am anxious to hear your highness's opinion in regard to these propositions which I have written down. At last this document was completed, and appeared by the title, opinion delivered by Philip Melanchthon concerning a synod of all the electors, princes, and states, adhering to the Augsburg Confession. He declares in the beginning of this that he would like to hear the judgment of Christian princes and men, and that he did not dread a synod on account of Flacius and his party. Although they condemned him, he was satisfied and had no desire of being with them, because they did not seek the glory of God it would not be necessary to convene a synod on account of the outcry raised by Fallacious. For I have maintained silence hitherto, and am prepared to remove from this country, if it is desired. I refer to this in order that no one may think I am dissuading from the holding of the synod, because I fear that I might be condemned or banished. He says further, Several electors and princes, Wish all the adherents of the Confession to hold a general synod. Now, I have always entertained the opinion that no such synod should be called until all the electors and princes are perfectly agreed, not only upon what they intend to propose, but what they finally intend to resolve and abide by. Unless this should be done, it would only end in greater dissensions in regard to images in the churches and the abjuration by other persons in baptism it would be well to exercise patience in these customs. In regard to free will, a very important point of dispute, he maintained the following. It is not right to assert that man is like a block and remains passive both in evil and in good works, even if it is said that the will is passive in good works. It is indeed true that God performs much wonderful illumination and great deeds in conversion and in the entire life of the saints, which the human will merely receives. But nevertheless, we must teach that we must regard the word of God in all our afflictions, in order that we may strengthen ourselves by this, and at the same time pray God for help. For God works by his word. Man is not to rest in unbelief, and to think that he will wait, that he will be drawn to God against his own will by some strange Anabaptist vision and miracle. He appeals to Luther and denies the poisonous conclusion, as if by this man obtained some merits. It would be well to hear the opinion of sensible persons in a synod in regard to this matter. We are already familiar with his opinion of Osiander's doctrine, in which he properly makes a distinction between justification and sanctification he expresses his belief that uniformity might easily be restored in this matter. In the third article of The Sacrament of the Body and Blood of Christ, he speaks of transubstantiation as idolatry, and regrets that Protestants too entertain such or similar views. Just as an ass of Ertfurt wrote to me lately, that the little pieces which fall upon the ground are also the body of Christ and should be worshipped, he rejects the doctrine of the Bremen ministers that the bread is the essential body of Christ and the wine the essential blood of Christ, and the opinion of Westphal and Hamburg that the body of Christ is present everywhere, in stone and in wood. He fears that a synod might produce great divisions, yet he expresses his views as follows. First, nothing is sacrament except the instituted use. This had already greatly disturbed Eck Radesbun, so that he became drunk and quite unwell. He then confesses that the Son of God is thus truly and essentially present, that when we participate of the Lord's Supper, he gives us his body and blood with the bread and wine. He rejects Zwingli's doctrine, that it is a mere outward sign, and that Christ is not essentially present. He proceeds, to protest against the proposition, good works are necessary to salvation, and also against the antinomians, concerning which points we have already referred to his views. We are also familiar with his views of the adiaphora, or in different things, he offers to accept the decision of a synod in this, whether it affects me gently or ungently. In the article of Matrimonial Matters, he speaks of consistories, and advises that these be arranged like those in electoral Saxony, where these form and execute decisions. He once more requests a serious consideration whether a synod should be held, because we have reason to fear that it will cause still greater divisions. But if it should be resolved upon to assemble one, the opinions of all the learned should be listened to in a friendly conference, and if they agree, resolutions should be passed and subscribed, but in case of disagreement, the opinion of all should be heard, and the resolutions passed according to the truth. Let it please or displease whom it will. At the convention at Frankfurt, held in the beginning of March 1558, Ferdinand I received the crown of the German Empire. He pledged himself to preserve religious and civil peace continually and firmly. His brother, the Emperor Charles V, had retired to a small residence by the side of the convent of St. Just, belonging to the monks of the Order of St. Jerome, near to Placentia in Spain, in the month of September 1556. He lived here for two years, engaged in earnest meditations upon the vanity of all earthly things, and in the expiation of his sins. It is said that he regretted not having acted more severely against the Protestants, and he died in September 1558, praying for the unity of the Church. In Frankfurt, whither other princes had also been invited, besides the Protestant electors, it was resolved to restore harmony between the contending parties in the Evangelical Church. This was to be promoted by a treatise prepared by Melanchthon which had become known as the Recess of Frankfurt. There were four principal points of dispute. The first referred to justification, and makes a distinction between justification and sanctification. The consolation is continually to be remembered in this life that a man is just, that is, pleasing to God, and a recipient of forgiveness of sins, not on account of newness, the new life. But by faith in Christ and his merits alone, through mercy for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second article speaks of the proposition, Good works are necessary to salvation. Although it is true that the new obedience of the justified is necessary, according to the commandment of God, yet it ought not to be said that it is necessary to salvation, because the doctrine of grace would be obscured by this. The third article, of the true sacrament of the body and blood of the lord jesus christ declares its agreement with the osberg confession namely that the lord jesus christ is truly in a living manner and essentially present in this by his ordinance of the lord's supper that he has also given his body and blood to be received by us christians with the bread and wine thus ordained by him and that he bears testimony by this that we are his members that he appropriates himself and his promise to us and works within us. The fourth article of Adiphora, or indifferent ceremonies in the church, declares that these may be observed or neglected, and if the true Christian doctrine of the Holy Gospel is preached in a proper manner, these ceremonies may be retained without injury to the cause of truth. But if the true Christian doctrine of the Holy Gospel should be polluted or persecuted then not only the indifferent, but also other ceremonies are injurious. The recess expresses its agreement with the Osberg Confession in the strongest terms, that nothing opposed to said true confession should be permitted to be taught, preached, or introduced among the people, in the churches, schools, and throughout the land. On the 18th of March, the recess was subscribed by the three electors, Odo Henry, Augustus, and Joachim, by the court palatine, Wolfgang von Veldens, Duke Christopher, and the Landgrave Philip. It was also finally resolved that they would request the other evangelical states to subscribe it. Melanchthon at this time expressed his conviction to Matthesius that the Vimerians would certainly object to it, and the event proved that his supposition was correct. The recess was violently opposed, not only by the Vimmerians, but by all strict Lutherans. Flacius called the recess the Samaritan Interim, and the aged Amsdorf prepared a refutation at the request of Duke John Friedrich of Saxony, and it was also proposed to hold a meeting in Magdeburg in May in opposition to the meeting at Frankfurt. Saxony was very anxious to bring it about, but in vain. Melanchthon was greatly distressed at this new dispute, and in his letters at this time frequently expressed his desire to be relieved from this miserable state of existence. On one occasion he said, I am so overburdened with labors that I expect my end daily, and yet my enemies are anxious to drive me away before that. He was also greatly grieved at the death of his old friend, the faithful Bugenhagen, who died peacefully on the 20th of April, although he rejoiced to see another friend, Paul Ever, appointed pastor in his place. He wrote a letter of consolation to one of his friends, Conrad Nessen, who was sick at the time, in which he says, My breast is filled with a strong mucus which threatens me with death and admonishes me frequently to think of my sick friends and of my own death. We know with certainty that God gives life and strengthens the powers of our body. As long as it is his will that we should serve the general welfare in this sorrowful battle of life, I pray to him with all my heart that he would stand by and help you and me, and ease our illness as long as it pleases him to retain us in this life. And I pray him that for the sake of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he would lead us into the sweet communion of the heavenly Church, and grant us the enjoyment of his light and wisdom, whenever he shall be pleased to deliver us from this prison. Let us look unto that fountain of light and wisdom, and bear our present sufferings with less sorrow, in the hope and expectation of that better life. He also wrote to the Landgrave of Hesse. My enemies have declared that they would make Germany too narrow for me, although I do not know what has filled them with this cane like bitterness against me, which induces them to drive me into strange lands. Your Electoral Highness, and many sensible men in Germany, are well acquainted with my peculiar labors, afflictions, and sentiments. If it pleases God, I am perfectly willing, not only to leave this country, but even this life for i have remained thus long for the benefit of this school if i must go i am perfectly ready and willing even as i expect death daily End of chapter thirty four part one